BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi everyone, it's Jack Rico and thanks for listening to episode 39 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. That was Shakira and Chris Martin from Coldplay performing Me Namore from Shakira's new album El Dorado. It was the closing performance on last night's Premio Juventud. The uh, song was actually broadcast via satellite from Germany at the Global Citizen Music Festival. And a lot of us, we didn't exactly know what to expect from this. Um, I know it was a last-minute addition. I got this via an email uh, from Univision as a press release. Um, Didn't know exactly what I was going to get, but no one was thinking that Chris Martin was actually going to sing in Spanish, and that's exactly what he did. Um, That was pretty cool because it was... Two worlds colliding. It was two cultures colliding, English and Spanish meeting uh, in one award show. And I feel like what Premios Juventud is, they kind of officialized it, that this is what we're going to see moving forward with this award show. Now, sporadically, we've seen this here and there. We've seen American mainstream artists come into a Spanish language award show. I was at the Lamas, the Latin American Music Awards that Telemundo did a few years back. Adina Menzel performed, but that felt random, almost out of context. Um, Chris Brown has performed with Pitbull, I think, uh, at some of Univision's performances before. It's probably the Premios Juventud. But again, it just seemed just random. Uh, this time, you had DNCE, Iggy Azalea, or Azalea, uh, as it's pronounced correctly, um, and uh, you had Coldplay. So, I mean, it, it was pretty cool, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed the bilingual dimensions that this award show uh, had last night. But today's episode is going to be more of a stripped-down version of the show you're usually accustomed to listening. I've been traveling a lot, uh, but I still managed to get some great guests for you, such as Gray Drake. She's the senior editor of Rotten Tomatoes, who's joining me today to review and dissect the new Spider-Man Homecoming movie, which is out right now. I think it's better than Wonder Woman. I'm wondering if she thinks the same. Also, I chat with Angelica Celaya. She is the star of Telemundo's new Jenny Rivera biopic. Uh, And we chat about the challenges in becoming Jenny, handling the love and hate from Rivera's fan base, uh, and how bilingual Latino actors still have a hard time not being seen as real Latinos. Don't get me started with that. 
And finally, the New York Latino Film Festival is back from the dead. It closed down about four years ago. And Dennis Williams, the Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs and Social Responsibility over at HBO, he's joining me to talk about why they brought it back, what's in it for HBO, and can this Latino Film Festival ever become as big as a Sundance? We'll talk about that and a lot more, so keep your headphones on. This is the Highly Relevant Podcast. Spider-Man Homecoming is officially out in theaters today, and everyone is raving about it. I had a chance to see it uh, and have a lot to say on the matter, so to join me right now to discuss the reasons... Why it seems to be another blockbuster hit is Gray Drake, senior editor of Rotten Tomatoes. Gray, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Uh, let me begin with the following question. What were your initial expectations for Spider-Man Homecoming? That I was going to have to watch a sad little white boy get bitten by a spider again, and I was going to want to kill myself. Listen, I know school sucks. Peter, you still with us? Uh, yeah, yeah. I know you want to save the world. But you're not ready yet. You're the Spider-Man. No, I'm not. I'm not. This is just a costume. This is from the ceiling. So, so you were dreading this this reboot. I was, and I have watched every version of Spider-Man in the recent years. So, three Tobey Maguires, one Andrew Garfield, and I was not very excited. Mm -hmm. uh, I. I learned eventually that this was not going to be another origin story, and I was able to exhale a little bit, mm -hmm. but that didn't get me any more excited. So, But what I, was it that you were exactly I, dreading? I just am, I, I'm tired of all the change in the Spider-Man world, and I just want them to pick something and stick with it. And so They I, were, but we didn't like sudden, Andrew Garfield. Well, all well. Speak for yourself, honey. The <laughs> but the thing is, <laughs> the thing is though, is that I I have turned into like the cinematic old lady yelling at kids to get off my lawn. Oh no! And I'm kind of like, come on, guys! Like, could we just make Spider Man happen? And I saw Civil War, and it gave me high hopes because I loved the dynamic between Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. So, but you know what? I've been hurt before. Right, <laughs> right. You've been was, scarred before. I, was, I have. And so then uh, I actually saw the film a little bit earlier than everybody else because I was scheduled to do interviews for the website. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, within the first 10 minutes of the movie, I was jumping for joy. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about that for a little bit. Um Rotten Tomatoes currently has Spider-Man Homecoming at 92%. Am I correct in that? Yeah, certified fresh. Spider-Man 2, though, still holds the record of being the uh, most freshest Spider-Man movie to date with 94%. Yeah, man, people love Spider-Man 2. God, uh, they, I, they just love that movie. And I got to tell you, I remember sitting in the theater... Just wondering when Aunt May was going to stop monologuing. <laughs> oh, it wasn't necessarily my favorite at ninety four. I would say the original Spider Man was there. Um, did you? Do you absolutely think that this Spider Man Homecoming is the best Spider Man movie of them all? Hands down, 
Spider-Man Homecoming is the best Spider-Man of all time. Now, it, why is that? They completely nailed it. They, the, the most important part about Spider-Man is that he is a high school nerd, and he also uses humor a lot when he's doing his superhero greatness. And that quality is something they captured in this movie that they've way better than it's ever been done before. All the other versions feel like they were kind of half in and half out compared to this one, Mm -hmm. just because that like Tom Holland and the way that he's playing the character and the, the nature of the script itself just seems to really inherently understand the character. And I think it's just so fun to watch. Right. You know, one of the thing about this this film is that I, I wouldn't even call it a Spider-Man film. I would call it a Peter Parker film. Oh, that's interesting. Forget the flying monster guy. There are people who handle this sort of thing. I'm sick of him treating me like a kid all the time. But you are a kid. This is my chance to prove myself. This was the first real time uh, that I saw Peter Parker be the lead of a Spider-Man movie more than I ever have. Oh, wow. And the comics actually reflect that tremendously, where there were mo- there were episodes in the comic books where there was a plight that Peter Parker really had to go through, and you rarely saw in these ep- comedic uh, comic episodes Spider-Man. And do you remember the Bill Bixby Hulk uh, TV show? Yes, in very broad strokes. Okay, so if you remember that, Bill Bixby, the the the, the actor who did Bruce Banner, it was like 85% Bruce Banner. And then towards the end, you finally had the revelation of the Hulk and Lou Ferrigno, and he would come in and he would beat up whoever he needed to beat up. But he was like 15, 10% of the whole show. And at some point, I didn't like that, but Bill Bixby is so cool that I accepted that. And I understood that that was more of a Bruce Banner show than it was a Hulk mm. show. And so in this particular case, I saw it again. And Tom Holland, I got to tell you something, more than Tobey Maguire, more than Andrew Garfield, I believe that he is truly captures the essence of Peter Parker and Spider-Man more than the previous ones. He looks 16, 15 years old. He sounds 15, 16 years old. And his body language is that of a real teenager. Um, what were your thoughts on Tom Holland and the Peter Parker sort of scope that 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 Marvel and Sony decided to do in this version? Well, I think you make a really interesting point. I, know, I didn't think about it that way before, but uh, Peter Parker is really likable, and he's the guy he inside is, right? the suit, and that's yeah, and that's why we that's why we like Spider Man, and so. The, the movie really does bring that to the forefront. And I've been a Tom Holland fan ever since The Impossible, where he was exceptional in that film. And I can't imagine making that movie at such a young age. And so I, was, I wasn't surprised when Civil War came out and I was like, oh, yeah, this kid is killing it because he's <laughs> great. And so... I, I thought that the movie itself, w- the other thing I like, that it did was that it, you know, you mentioned briefly that it presented the challenges of his life and the circumstances of being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It, it, this, this movie shows it in a really potent way where I really got it. And I really felt for this kid because being a teenager is hard enough. <laughs> and then all of a sudden when you can stop a bus with your bare hands, it mm-hmm. becomes exponentially worse. <laughs> it, it felt like a coming of age movie where he knew he mm, had the mm-hmm. powers 
but he was going through the growing pains of learning those powers. And he was getting his ass kicked constantly in the movie, which I didn't necessarily like because I like to see my movies where, you know, my my hero is the one doing the the the, the kicking of the butts. But in this particular <laughs> case, he was so vulnerable. And I think that that's what connected the audience much more to him. Would would you agree? Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Because we don't, you know, you, your superheroes have to have a vulnerability in order to be believable and relatable exactly. and lovable. And there's no question. And I think that right off the bat, uh, John Watts and the way that he directed this and, and the whole team, the way that they created the movie visually, the first like 10 minutes of the movie feel like it was made by a modern 15 year old kid. Yeah. Uh, it feels like very kind of YouTube energy, social media, fun, enthusiasm. Very today. Uh, I love it. It absolutely is. And I, I love everyone playing off of him. Like we get to see just enough of Tony Stark and happy that is speaking for me in the audience that as an older person where I'm like, settle down, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the two of them together, they, it works so nicely together. And I, I just, I was like, oh my God, he's a child. He's so excited. And he's getting the crap beat out of him. But I still like him. I'm rooting for this dumb little kid. The, it, felt, it. it felt, I mean, if you've ever seen John Hughes films, it, this felt like a, like a super, if John Hughes had to direct a superhero film, this is the film he would have done. Uh, it feel, it has that, comical side but it also has that 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 human weight you know uh behind it yeah through the storyline uh there was even a moment where there was an homage and a tribute scene of peter parker without his mask with the spider-man suit on uh walking through the yard as he's trying to chase uh, a truck down and uh uh, there was a TV set that had Ferris Bueller on and and, and they went parallel <laughs> scenes on it. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't totally catch that. I'm glad they reminded me of it. Um, in your case, it's, you know, when it's people- It's so cool. Well, and and you know, just to the further to further that point, the th- other thing that makes it really feel like a John Hughes does superheroes movie is the fantastic ensemble. Because mm-hmm. his, his movies are all about the characters, plural, and the kids in this movie are- Excellent. And they're really close and it adds a whole new dimension to the movie that I really enjoyed. Speaking of the cast and the supporting cast, one of the great things about this film is the diversity aspect of it. Did that totally did it's, that stand out to you immediately? Or was that something that struck you after you saw the film? It always stands out to me these days. And I'm so glad that this is a, a conversation that people are constantly bringing up that we need to see more people represented in movies. You know, Moonlight won the Oscar and now we have people having conversations about who is in this superhero movie. Well, it's Zendaya. It's a, you know, Tom Holland. It's all these different people. Tony Revolori. Up against an old, exactly. Like up against an old white guy. Perfect. villain, (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and I, I, you know, and furthermore, the fact that, there are women in the movie and female characters who are smart. They don't just have to be saved all the time. And I've come to really appreciate that and always look for it. And I definitely agree. It's a huge strength. 
people are coming up to me uh, as of late and they're like, okay, Jack, uh, I-, I need to know what your opinion is of Spider-Man Homecoming. Should I go see it or not? How would you describe this film? And here's what I said. And I'm interested to know as a woman what you think of this, this uh, comment that I have. I think Spider-Man Homecoming is better than Wonder Woman. Would you agree? I, I do agree, and I'll, I'll tell you why I agree. Although I enjoyed Wonder Woman, and I think it's a really strong showing for DC, uh, and an incredibly important moment in our culture, the really traditional storytelling and the, uh, the, the really traditional storytelling is what kind of put me off of Wonder Woman you just a little bit. You mean the old-fashioned sort of sensibility it had? Yeah, and I think that it was sort of, it was predictable in the way that it was presenting the story. It's kind of bookended by mm-hmm. modern-day Diana Prince, and she's remembering a story. And I've, I've seen that a million times. It now, was very familiar, like the, very familiar, right? Well, of course, and it's just this. That's kind of classic DC at this point. They're mm-hmm. not. Ta- they don't take as they're many. Playing kind of, uh, they're playing it safe. They're playing it safe. Absolutely. As well, they should because they haven't yet. Until Wonder Woman, they hadn't really nailed this modern universe uh, outside of the Chris Nolan Batman movies. So I get it, and I still appreciated it, and I loved the performances. Mm-hmm. But I felt like Spider Man. While still a traditional movie in its act structure, it felt a little bit more, it felt a little riskier in the way that it was presenting the characters. Much more innovative, right. And I also appreciated, I also appreciated the consistent tone that it was always light, just like Peter Parker, even when he got into really action heavy sequences and bad situations, he was still really true to the character. Whereas, with Wonder Woman, I felt like it was a little bogged down by how serious DC movies are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I said, I also think Spider-Man had the edge just by a little bit. And when people come up to me and ask me how it is, uh, I generally like don't even let them finish their sentence. And I just start <laughs> shaking them by the shoulders. And I'm like, why haven't you bought your ticket yet? Right, right. Um, Gray... Besides this, do you think that diversity is such a big key thing right now and having more women in lead roles is such a big thing as well? Do you think that at some point in the future, a Miles Morales, a Latino Spider-Man or a Spider-Girl, which has been in the comic books, a Spider-Woman, do you think that would work eventually? Like if they decided to say, hey, listen, we're going to reboot Spider-Man once again, and she's going to be a female, maybe a Latina female, would you like it? Would you think it's okay? Hell yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Why? Hell yes. I'm just going to keep saying hell yes, because (laughs) we're going to keep making, Hollywood is going to keep making Spider, uh, excuse me, they'll keep making superhero movies for a while, as Mm -hmm. long as people are seeing them, which means that they can't all be white brown like brown haired dudes the whole time comic books are not like that every every character has gone through some kind of transformation and we saw this like we saw like good signs when they turned odin in thor into idris elba Mm -hmm. instead of like a white guy Right. right so that was a good sign Now we have Marvel doing things like Black Panther. It's like, yes, and Captain Marvel's coming. And 
in order to keep the genre fresh at all whatsoever, you have to start showing different people. So it's like Latina Spider Woman. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, I would love that. Yeah, I, I would it, actually. That thing would be with, kick ass. Oh my God. When you tell different stories about different groups of people, you get a different result and you keep your genre fresh. And that's, that's the only answer to being able to keep making these films. Plus, we're like, we're getting to be an incredibly sophisticated society that demands this kind of thing. So if studios are listening, then they will understand that this is what we want because it can't all just be dudes that look like Chris Evans. Like he's great and everything, <laughs> but it's like, get me Dame Latina Spider-Woman. <laughs> I was going to say, do you know what would be great for a Spider-Girl, like a Latina female Spider-Girl? Gina Rodriguez. Oh, Why don't we do that it. campaign, that hashtag campaign? Oh my God. Right? I got I got chills when you said that. I think she's so awesome. She's funny. Oh, I love that idea. She's like New York. She's from New York, I believe. Puerto Rican chick. Yep. Uh, and she kicks ass. Dude, I think she'd be I'm great. I'm so into that. Right? I think that's so cool. I love I I'm so excited that this is a conversation that everybody's having. Like I know that I live in Los Angeles and it's kind of a bubble, but at the same time you know, even when I'm talking to people in Iowa, they're like, man, this is cool. Like, we love Zendaya, whose name I always mm. mispronounce because I myself am a white lady. And <laughs> we love the young lady that plays Liz. We're, it's, it's just cool to know that everyone is slowly understanding that America is full of different kinds of people. Right. It's just starting like to the finally entire reflect the rest of our society. Absolutely. Uh, and before I let you go, yeah. Gray... Um, Quickly, what are some of the best films you've seen this year so far that you think we should uh, give a look at? One that I cannot stop telling people about is Kumail Nanjani's The Big Sick. Have hey, you seen I've, it? I've, no, but I've heard that this is a really interesting uh, sort of premise. Oh. It's familiar in a way, but then it's it, it takes a turn of events, like a twist that leaves you going, whoa, oh, yeah. what just happened? So Kumail Nanjani, uh, he, he, he wrote, he He's wrote from Silicon movie. Valley. He, He's the Indian guy from Silicon Valley. Totally. And a really talented comedian and he's a movie lover and he loves the X-Files and can find him all over the place. I've been a fan for a long time. And when he met his girlfriend, they ran into a really unique situation uh, and she got really super sick. And so they, they wrote this into a movie and Ray Romano and Holly Hunter play his movie girlfriend's parents. And it's Zoe Kazan that plays Emily, his then girlfriend and now wife. And the thing that I liked about it was that it is kind of a familiar setup and it is an independent film. They obviously didn't have a ton of money. There's not like Spider-Man money explosion right. in it, but it is one of the funniest, most heartfelt, most well-written things I've ever seen. I just loved it. I was laughing so loud. I was concerned for other people's movie going experience. Uh, here's my top five and not necessarily in order. Um, Logan, get out. Yes. Oh. Baby driver. I'm not sure if you just finished seeing that probably best movie of the it. year so far. Uh, in my mind, in terms of fulfillment and satisfaction, I left that theater in such glee. It wasn't even funny. Um, what what was I love Spider Man. Spider Man's up there. 
Yes. And The Big Sick, I probably have to watch that one, but I've heard tremendous raving reviews about it as well. And I can't wait for Dunkirk. Ooh, yeah. It's that's like so here's the deal. This is my favorite thing about Dunkirk, by the way. You have you've got a whole bunch of fans of Harry Styles mm-hmm. that are gonna go see the movie to see Harry Styles and they're gonna end up getting a history lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is spectacular. That's that that's um, the funny part. <laughs> dude, I can't wait for that. Well, and so um, I, I agree with all your top five. I really like those movies. I'm a little bit less of a fan of Baby Driver than everyone else. I'm really? really excited that so that did yeah, not connect I, with you the way it did with other people, huh? Yeah, and you know what's weird is that I love cars and I love music. And though this movie so cleverly marries the two together, combined with really good uh, screenwriting by Edgar Wright, as mm-hmm. usual. So everything's there. There were just a few elements that kept me from like really loving it. But whereas our critics rated that movie in the nineties on Rotten Tomatoes, I would just go a little notch below that and be like, yeah, I thought that was like an 80% for me. Like it's still great. I just didn't love it as much as I love his other films. Um, And get out is one of not only the best movies of the year, but one of the best movies ever. <laughs> right, no, no, listen, it, it, it is truly no joke. All right, Spider-Man Homecoming comes oh. out this Friday, July 7th. Gray Drake, senior editor at Rotten Tomatoes, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thank you for having me and for encouraging me to shake the crap out of people that haven't <laughs> bought their tickets yet. <laughs> Thanks, Gray. <laughs> Before we move on to our next segment with Angelica Celaya from Telemundo's Jenny Rivera, Mariposa del Barrio, here are some new songs you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Switch, Iggy Azalea. Ni tú ni yo, Jennifer Lopez featuring Gente de Zona. Get Low, Zed featuring Liam Payne. One of the most popular and loved Mexican singers in modern times is Jenny Rivera, and Telemundo has done a biopic on her life titled Mariposa del Barrio. Angelica Celaya, the bilingual actress who was chosen to play Jenny on the novella, joins me now on the podcast. Angelica, how are you? Hi, Jack. Hi, how are you? I'm good in yourself. Very good, and uh, a pleasure to talk to you uh, because, you know, the work you're doing here seems to be uh, almost career-defining. Would you agree? I would agree, actually. It's it's it, it, It's been, maybe because of the character itself that has, has, has fed me um, creatively and 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 emotionally and honestly, there hasn't been an another character I've ever done that I have put my my body and my 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 energy and and my whole strength into. I I I, I really poured myself into this character so so the family and the fans could could you know see Jenny. Llamaron de Balboa Records. Quiero filmar un disco contigo. Oh Acabas de llenar los Paypal Center. ¡Gracias! ¡Salud! Con ustedes, 
Uh, Hanika, let's let's start from the beginning. How was how did this opportunity arrive to you? Well, casting like every ab, like every actor does. <laughs> so you had to audition for this. Um, of course, I had because so it wasn't just um, offered the, to you um, and said, "Look, you're the one. We've picked you from oh, like." No, 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 no. I mean, this is this is the authorized version of of the family. So the family had to choose who they wanted Jenny to be. Get so out the of family here. didn't just look me up and be like, oh, you know, sure, Angie, she looks good. Well, you know, this is what no, they do with I, James I Bond. To... This is what, well, every that's what time... they do with James Bond, but we're talking about a real life <laughs> character. <laughs> no, and that's know, true, but the process is James similar. Bond yeah. to be real life, but well. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of these days, James Bond will be a woman too, maybe. maybe Why not? Have a daughter you know, we'll be Latina. <laughs> Absolutely. So how many casting auditions did you have to do? Um, I had three, three, actually. Um, the first initial approach was in September. And this was because Telemundo actually reached out to me and said, you know, we would love to, you know, cast you, you know, audition you for this. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, why? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 5'9", I weigh 130, I'm, I'm skinny, I'm like, I, I have, like, and I don't sing, first of all, you know, I like, like really me? I'm wrong for this. You, yes. you were conscious that you weren't necessarily the appropriate actress physically to perhaps, or maybe even skill wise to kind yes. of just bring the accuracy that maybe you thought that the character needed. So what ultimately was yes. it that sold Telemundo and the family that you were the perfect person to do Jenny Rivera? Well, the last audition which took place in January in Miami, um, they made me over. Completely ma- uh, hair, makeup, wore everything to look like Jenny as, as much as I could at that very moment. Mm-hmm. And they put me in a situation with another actor on set, like in the studio, you know, um, set and, and on a soundstage. And going through these scenes, I was like, you know what? Jenny, Jenny's from Long Beach. Jenny has, you know, she's, the, the, I mean, the direct translation of Mariposa de Barrio is Butterfly from the Hood, but she has some hood in her. So, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take this out. This is this is my, you know, if, if I'm going to represent her, this is what I would take out. So I, I, I brought out the street. I brought out this attitude that's like, you cannot push me down. You cannot hit me because I will hit back and I will tell it to your face. I brought that attitude out and the family was like, yes. <laughs> it's that swagger exactly. it's confidence is one of that that's one of the things that i noticed about her so you said i'm yeah. going to be just as swaggericious <laughs> as she was right get the swagger get that hustle out get get that you know i, I i'm not going to take any bs from anybody attitude out right and that's what i brought to the character and and that was like well that's that's it and i'm like Woo! Okay, so all those years growing up, you know, with with boys and in you know, and, and not in the the best neighborhoods, really helped me. Okay. <laughs> so there was also this, you know, when you look at Jenny, Jenny is a very sensual, almost sexual person as well. Just physically, uh, she exudes it. it yeah. It's like something. Um, you said that you weigh one hundred and thirty pounds. How are you? How is the team able to convert you into a curvaceous woman? That was uniquely Jenny. Well, honey, I had a gang weight. <laughs> wait, so did I you had have a to pack eat? on the pounds. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, okay, yeah, no, no. Take I, me I through this process because this is this is where actors become actors, where they in, inhabit these characters. <laughs> what did you? What was your diet like, and for how long? It was a good. I I got so I got so tired of these stupid protein shakes with peanut butter, coconut oil, and <laughs> all these other like just like double, triple scoops of protein that I had to change to whey protein because I'm, I'm I'm pescatarian. So I was like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep it, you know, in the in the in the vegetarian area, you know, no soy, no nothing. I'm like, no, you know what? I'm not gaining anything. Let's do whey. And I'm doing. Oh my god, I got so bloated, so lethargic, and 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 then you know, I I've always had a vigorous diet, so it really just you know, eat more rice, eat more bread, eat more, you know, start expanding my my diet more to where. It didn't take much to expand that. Of course it didn't because I was like, oh, well, I can eat pizza and I can eat this and I can eat pasta. And I, it, it, for a minute there, I was like still counting calories. And then it was just like, forget it, enjoy it. But even then just drinking and, and drinking, like, I, I, I honestly, I'm so tired. Like, I, I don't think I want to drink another smoothie in my life. That's how tired I, I got of it. And, but there were like these, you know, calorie packs, you know, smoothies and 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 basically just you know stop going to the gym because i was like well no i'm going to continue going to the gym starting to like maybe if i build muscle i'll thicken up no i wasn't my, my i was i was thinning out so i had to stop going to the gym and you know just relax and and enjoy what i was eating and 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 it, finally it, it, you achieved the physicality part that you needed in order to truly become jenny rivera Yes, because she was a woman that embraced her curves. She was a woman that was not hiding behind, you know, loose clothing or trying to, you know, put a purse in front of her. No, she's like, this is who I am. And I celebrate it. She celebrates her sexuality. She celebrates who she is as a woman, you know, and, and she's not perfect, but she still feels very sensual, which is something that I think the majority of women we need to learn is to no matter what shape or size you are or what age you are, celebrate yourself. So this is she was also a woman who 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 signified and symbolized uh empowerment. Yes. And that's that's the part that I I truly embraced and love 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 of Jenny is that she was very much of um women's empowerment and and, and throughout the, the musical, you know, the music business because mm-hmm. that's a very dom- male dominated industry and especially in Mexico and and she broke through the barriers and be Mexican American, which, you know, I can say, I'm, you know, me being Mexican America, Mexican American and going back to Mexico, you know, and, and starting my career from there as an actress, of course, you know, I got told, well, there comes another getting got trying to take, you know, jobs away from us. No, oh, no. And I made my dad register me as, you know, in the Mexican consulate. So I can be a hundred percent, you know, as much as I can Mexican and improve to them and to myself that I can do this. Does it bother you that Latinos from Latin America still judge Latinos born in the United States? Aren't we all Latinos at the end of the day? See, me and you get this. I get it. You get it. In my world, we're all just citizens of the world, and we all just happen to be, you know, having a little sazón from different places, and which makes us unique, because at, at the end of the day, you want to be unique to who you are in society. But I don't... I... I, I, I do get irritated with people who want to separate. No, 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 you're from here. No, no, you're from there. And you're not good enough or you're not, you know, with me. You know, they, I, I still get comments from strangers. 
no way you're Mexican. No, you're wow. not Mexican, Angelica. I'm like, why am I not Mexican? Because you don't look it. I'm like, well, I invite you to travel to to Mexico mm-hmm. and, and, and travel the northern part where the majority of the people resemble how I look physically. Because, you know, Mexico is a lot more than, you know, Cancun, Acapulco, and, and Mexico City. <laughs> a lot more. Well, you know, this is the same <laughs> problem that Oscar Jainada had with Cantinflas. He's from Spain. Yes. And he had to interpret... And he did a marvelous job. He did an incredible job, didn't he? He truly embodied... He, he, he morphed his body into being Cantinflas. And, and, and that's an actor for you. You don't have to become, you know, of the same racial background. You don't have to be, you know, which, which was, you know, a thing like, oh my God, you know, Angelica is, is, looks more like a, like a model, not like Jenny. Well, my job is to be an actress. My job is to not to use my body as my instrument and morph it into the character. Mm-hmm. That's what actors do, true actors do. And, and that's, that's the examples I have to where you, like, I, I love it because it made me break out of, of a mold. It made me break out of this, you know, pretty little girl mold that I, I now it's, it's, it's like, it, it's different. It made me it become somebody else totally different from who I am physically and, and, and personality wise that I, I, it, to me, it's, it's a candy. It's a prize, you know, life gave me. When did you stop becoming Jenny? When, when did the production stop and you went back to being Angelica? So we stopped filming this past Friday. Um, oh, so this was just recent. After 19 scenes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, we stopped filming this Friday. And um, I just barely yesterday night changed my hair color back to something, you know, what I was wearing before, you know, doing Jenny. And and I'm growing out my eyebrows as we speak. So how are you feeling um, now yeah, that you're I'm, shedding the 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 Jenny Rivera life that you had for quite some time? Uh, is it difficult to not be Jenny no. Rivera, or are you happy that you're back to there's being on Helica? There's some parts I do I do embrace from Jenny. It's not that it's like oh my god I'm gonna take that character off of me because. Jenny's not an awful person and wasn't an, an awful character p- to portray. Contrary, it was, it was, I, I embraced certain things from her and I learned from her life of how to, you know, keep being, you know, a strong woman and pushing forward and turning the no's into yeses in her career. And, and that's something I don't ever want to shed. That's something I don't ever want to take away from what I learned through this beautiful experience. But going back to being, you know, it, it's funny because, um, my boyfriend was just like, you know, you're, you, I, I see you, I see you. And I'm like, well, I see you too. And he's like, no, I see you. Like, like I, like I'm seeing Angelica again. I'm, I, I'm, I'm stopped. I stopped seeing Jenny. Like, was it that bad? And he's wow. like, no, it's not that it was bad. It was just that you were in character, and and now you're coming back to being, you know, you, yeah. sweet, you know, and <laughs> and the Angelica I've always been. And it's like, right. yeah, okay. I'm like. I, I guess I guess I guess it's more for the people around me in mm-hmm. my personal life are gonna notice that change a lot more than than me because to me it's like okay I gotta grow back my eyebrows you know shed a few pounds you know and and, and go back to my hair color go back to LA. <laughs> so what's been the you know? feedback so far, Angelica, on 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 you being Jenny Rivera? Because you know she's a hardcore fan base, and they're pretty hardcore critical. Fan base. And 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 it's. And I get two. Uh, they either love me 
or they, they hate you. Me. And how have and you honestly, dealt with that emotionally? How have you dealt with that emotionally? Has that been was. difficult for you? Jenny, no, because if that's something Jenny has always dealt with in her career, because other people love to love her and love to hate her. And that's who she, she represented. And she didn't care. She even had a hat that said, I love the haters. And, 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 and it's funny because one of her sons told me, he's like, I'm going to get you a hat that says, I love the haters. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's how it's <laughs> good right now. I, I feel happy that the fans are so passionate to keep her alive and to keep her, her image and, and her um, legacy, you know, still relatable and, and, and alive, you know, today, which is awesome. And you know what? I don't blame them for being so protective of, of Jenny. I don't blame them because that, that's, you know, they love her. I just want them to give me an opportunity, you know, when the time comes on screen, when, when we see Jenny going into adulthood and for them to, you know, just, just keep their minds open that this is, I'm, I'm not imitating her. I, 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 she, she's, I'm not imitating her. There's people who are actually do imitate her for a living and they make a really good living imitating her right and that's that's not my job my job is to portray my job is to, to capture her essence life yes and and that's what i what i what i try to do with all my might and my strength and and, and my creative efforts and you know and and just you know take it as an as a very respectable um homenaje to to jenny yeah, a total tribute. Uh, before I let you go, congratulations. Uh, Jenny Rivera, Mariposa del Barrio, ranked as the number one Spanish language program uh, in its yeah. premiere. How did that feel for you? Did you feel that everything you had to go through, gaining the weight, um, watching countless hours of footage, uh, truly becoming her and having to deal with her fan base, uh, the good and the bad, was it all worth it for you? I, it's, it's all worth it. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I'm, I'm an actress that lives for my, my, my character and for lives for the story. And I was chosen by the family to portray her. And I never once thought about ratings and I never once thought about, you know, how public will react because to me, my number one critics are the ones who lived next to her, which were, you know, her kids, her, her brothers, sisters, mm-hmm. um, parents you know that to me they they they're the number one critics for me you know and and i felt the pressure with them and it's just ratings are just a nice scene on the top i i don't i don't act and i don't accept projects ratings wise i i accept them as how much of a challenge they bring to my career to my into my persona and jenny has definitely brought both well listen you're one of those actresses that is fully bilingual uh, you're the future of acting to me, where actors oh, one day are going to be bicultural, <laughs> bilingual, are going to be able to do I bird notice, I, are going to really be able to do, do right? Uh, and Jenny Rivera was the, 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 the embodiment of what bilingual Hispanics are in this country. And so yeah. um, I wish you much success in the rest of this novella. Thank it looks you. like it's taking off. Uh, I wish you much, much success in your career. I think this is going to be big for you, and uh, I can't wait to 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 see and 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 and, and hear more about you uh, in the future. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, you can catch Jenny Rivera Mariposa del Barrio on Telemundo 8 p.m. Correct, uh, Monday through Friday. Yes. 
8 p.m. We're there. And if people want to send a little hello to you via social media, do you have a Twitter account or you're like, no, I'm not doing Twitter. I'm not doing Twitter, social no, media. Twitter, no, of course I do. I, okay. I love I love, I love, love the fans. So, yeah, Angelica Soleil on Twitter and Angelica Soleil won on Instagram because apparently there's another Angelica Soleil on Instagram. So I had hey, to put a hey, one Hey, hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Four years ago, the New York Latino Film Festival closed down after 12 years. At the time, its founder said that the festival suffered through a crippling financial crisis and that the festival was simply no longer economically viable. That's been debated throughout the years, but now it's back and HBO will once again be the principal sponsor of the festival. And so joining me now to talk about its importance, challenges, and the future of the festival is Dennis Williams. He's the Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs and Social Responsibility at HBO. I really wanted to talk to you uh, about the New York Latino Film Festival. This is a big deal for a lot of New Yorkers who slowly and little by little we've been seeing some of our big you know, Latino events that are of New York slowly to deteriorate or to just to be completely removed. And we, we just don't have the pizzazz in the Latino market that we used to have, cinema, art, music. And so to bring back the New York Latino Film Festival is great for all the Latino fans that appreciate Latino filmmakers, Latino stories. How did HBO once again, once again become involved with the New York, New York Latino Film Festival? Uh, yeah, I mean, everything that you just said is not lost, obviously, on us, right? I mean, we kind of keep our ear to the ground and, you know, our antenna up for, you know, for, for what needs to happen and, um, and the kinds of conversations that need to take place in media and entertainment. And so, I mean, as you know, we were the founding sponsors of the New York Latino Festival. That's right. So all those many, many years ago, our executives knew then um, what the world would know later, um, and that was that there needed to be a space um, and a conversation about, the, you know, about Latino voices in our industry. So I don't think, you know, um, you know, I don't think, you know, there are very, there, there were many people who were more sad than we were mm -hmm. um, when the festival dissolved a couple of years ago. Why did it dissolve? You know, I, I mean, I think that's probably a conversation better had, you know, with, with Calixto. I think it was, um, there were some structural kinds of challenges that needed to be overcome. I think mm -hmm. too, uh, you know, this is a bit, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to say what I think happens for a lot of organizations, particularly when they're focused on, on the issues that, that impact communities of color. And that is we put a lot of responsibility and weight on the shoulder of organizations to be all things to all people. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you just kind of think about, you know, everything that the festival was trying to do and accomplish because there was an absence, uh, you know, in other spaces, um, you know, it was it's a it's a Herculean burden um, and effort that is required to kind of pull that off. And I think they did a fantastic job for a number of years. But but, um, you know, probably certainly needed a lot more support, whether that's that's funding, whether that's media whether that's, you know, um, uh, support from, from the entertainment community, from mm -hmm. actors, et cetera, right? Um, it, it's kind of a perfect storm that needs to happen. And so 
I think it takes its toll um, on all people involved, particularly, you know, those at the top. So, um, you know, their their decision to kind of dissolve and step away um, for us was a really unfortunate and sad one. Um, we'd invested a significant amount um, in the festival, but but more than that, um, there was a need for it. You know, there continues to be a need. So, um, you know, it's great when, like, the phoenix, it rises again, you know, <laughs> Um and so, you know, it was a very easy conversation uh, when when Calixto came in and said, um, you know, I'm back and it's going to be back. And, you know. So we, for you, that, Dennis, why do you think the New York Latino Film Festival is important for New York and Latinos? Um, you know, I think anytime, anytime you're giving uh, creatives of color uh, a platform from which to spring and launch their careers... Um, then that's going to have a very positive impact on our industry, right? I mean, mm-hmm. HBO is a place where we have, uh, I think, built into our DNA this idea of, of the inclusion of as many diverse voices as we possibly can. That's been the strength and the success of this company for, you know, since the doors opened, literally, more than 40 years ago. Um, and that's just what's, that's what is needed in the industry. So whether we're talking about um, you know, representation uh, of Latinos or Latinas or African Americans or LGBT community, or having conversations about um, the particular issues that that face the transgender community. Like all of these stories become universal um, and examples for everyone, and how we can navigate um, the challenges of life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those stories have to be told. I think not just for the community, but for 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 the entire landscape. Um, well, and the other thing so, is that Latino film festivals don't really exist, uh, at, at least successfully, uh, within the United States. And the New York Latino Film Festival, before I think it used to be called the New York International Film, uh, film Festival, uh, this was the one that kind of had the biggest name and the biggest impact, I would say, probably within the United States. Well, certainly because they were situated here in New York, mm-hmm. they they just had a larger, you know, um, footprint, right, if you will, in terms of their reach um, and and the cachet of, of being in New York, which is why I think it's important that the festival isn't is is here, right, that it stays in New York because I think New York gives it, um, you know, uh, a, a, an adrenaline push that you know that that other that many other places couldn't necessarily provide. But you're right, outside of that festival, um, there, there are certainly others doing it, but certainly not at that scale. And so, um, you know, if that's the top of the mountain, um, it's important that we, we protect that and that we nurture it and cultivate it so that um, it gets all the support and, and all the air that it needs to breathe. Now, for HBO, what is the main appeal for you to be associated to the New York Latino, uh, Latino Film Festival? Um, I think it's, you know, much, much like what we've done, uh, you know, when our executives have gone out and found uh, new voices, um, you know, whether that's a, an Issa Rae or someone reads a story and says, well, this is just right for HBO. Um, we have those same, that same lens on when it comes to our film festival sponsorships. They are a place for us to find, nurture and develop the next generation of creative talent. Um, and so, you know, again, if you don't support creatives at that stage, right, not everyone there is going to, is at a stage in their career where they're going to make an HBO series tomorrow. Like, that's not what we're there for. But if you don't cultivate um, 
you know, folks at the beginning of their career, at the middle of their career, then they never reach the top of their career. And so the, the, the festival provides um, perhaps the greatest uh, entry point and access mm-hmm. point into our industry. So these festivals have to survive. They're the doorway through which tomorrow's talent gets to walk in and be, and be nurtured and developed. Dennis, what is the difference between the former New York Latino Film Festival and this new rebirth? Um, <laughs> I think that's yet to be seen. Um, here's what I hope happens, right? I think I said this yeah, earlier. Give me your expectations. My, my expectations is that it will, um, it exists now in a different time, right? So, so obviously our culture has changed. Um, our society has changed a great deal since the festival went away. Um, understanding the importance of of Latino stories um, for 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 media and executives uh, or media and, and entertainment companies, I think is is even more heightened now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, people, I think, I'm hoping, will be more attuned to the talent coming out of the Latino Film Festival than they ever were before. I think so. That's what I think the industry. Uh, that's what I'm hoping happens in the industry, right? Is that people pay more attention to it than it did because because it's you know the conversation is louder now. For the festival itself, what I hope um, is that that they are um, sort of more focused on um, the specific task of developing those voices, right? And so um, it is. It will be very easy for them to want, you know, to kind of try again to to be all things to all people. Um, and and, and I, I hope that you know the the rebirth comes with a, a renewed focus um, and an intense focus on the storytelling. Um, and the folks telling those stories, both in front of and behind the camera. And so that it may be for someone else to take on some of uh, the other initiatives that they launched uh, years ago. Um, and for those things not to be, you know, squarely in the, in the bullseye of, of, their, of their strategic, you know, kind of vision. Um, but that if they kind of just focus on the stories from, from the community, the universality of our, our experiences um, and, and bring those to the forefront, then I think there's there's an appetite and a market for it. You said the word storytelling, and I think that's what HBO does best, is, is tell the best stories out there. Um, w- you know, you had mentioned that that HBO's affiliation, association with the New York Film Festival is about storytelling process. Is there a some sort of pipeline being devised, or maybe there, there is one where you might pick some stories if apropos from the Latino Film Festival, from Latino Voices to add uh, content to HBO, is that a possibility or is that a potential or is that maybe Listen, I, in the know, future our, plans? For, for all of our festival sponsorships, we have representation from our, our programming and development team on site um, so that they can see um, firsthand you know, the way in which someone is, 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 is using their creative voice. And so it's it's highly possible that someone because it could uh, be a great sees, pipeline for you guys in terms of content. I mean, for HBO and HBO Latino. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our film acquisition folks are at the festival looking to acquire content for HBO Latino for sure. But I think you know everyone wants to have the next big series on HBO. Um, believe me, if there's someone there and they're and they're writing the next Game of Thrones, our people are in the room to see that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, no one's going to let that let that pass. And so I, you know, I think that's. Again, it's it's a call for creatives who also have to support the festival, right? That they, and and they have to understand and know 
um, that there's something there for them, right? That if they bring their stories and they bring their content to a place like the New York Latino Film Festival, then the executives that they want to see and meet, um, that they try to email and can't always get a hold of, um, if you want to know where those executives will be, they'll be at the Latino Film Festival. At least the ones from HBO will be there. And then my final question, Dennis, what is the potential of the New York Latino Film Festival? How big can this get? Do you think it could rival the New York Film Festival and the big film festivals of the world? Does it have that potential in the future? You know, I think, you know, everyone everyone kind of holds um, the Sundance Film Festival up as the, as the gold standard, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the, I think the stories coming from from the Latino community, from diverse communities, are equally as powerful as the stories you're going to find at any other festival in the world. Um, and so certainly with the right amount of curation and cultivation of those voices, um, it should become the place where people point to um, and mention, you know, in their very first sentence as, the, you know, where, where you can find the best, most unique um, most authentic storytelling in the business. And, you know, and if they set out to do that, um, then I think they have, you know, they have a tremendous amount of room for success. Dennis Williams, Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs and Social Responsibility at HBO. Thank you very much for coming on uh, the podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. And, and uh, thank you and all the listeners for supporting the festival. That's it for episode 39 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Gray Drake from Rotten Tomatoes, Angelica Celaya from Telemundo's Mariposa del Barrio, and Dennis Williams from HBO for passing by the show this week. And thank you guys for taking the time out to listen from your favorite streaming platform wherever you may be. If you like this U.S. Latino podcast, please share it on your social media apps, tell your friends all about it, and if you can't have them subscribe to the show, it depends on you to get the word out. Please help us get the word out. Hope you enjoy your weekend and stay connected with us via showbizcafe.com. See you next week on another episode of Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.